Welcome to the Cross the Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and today's episode is sponsored once again by Charlene's Home Cooking on 1136 East Blackstock Road in Moore, South Carolina. Charlene's Home Cooking is a family restaurant that cooks like grandma. Fresh veggies, meats, cook the order, cakes, pies, cobbler, sweet tea, Kool-Aid, and lemonade. She wants you to feel at home anytime you stop by, so make sure you do. She's open on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday from 11 to 6. Friday and Sunday from 11 to 7 and close on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. If you need a caller, you can give her a call at 864-764-1111. She do, you can get a meat in two sides or meat in three sides and also a veggie plate. Everything is fresh and made from scratch and she would love to see you sometime. So once again, if you ever get a chance, make sure you stop by Charlene's Home Cooking on 1136 East Blackstock Road. Now, uh, time to introduce our special guest today this man has made history he is the first african-american pit crew member to win the daytona 500 and right now sitting with none other than mr Darrell edwards how you doing i'm good man how are you i'm doing pretty good so i kind of told people already um who you were actually so just to get started can you tell people where originally where you're from uh i'm originally from baltimore maryland um right on the east side of baltimore uh, close to johns hopkins hospital Okay. Everyone, everyone pretty knows, uh, pretty much knows where Johns Hopkins Hospital is. I've heard of it, so right on the east side of Baltimore. And how, how was your, you know, was you telling us a little bit off camera before we got started, but um, just so people know, how, how was your childhood kind of like growing up? Uh, man, my childhood, it was, uh, I mean, I could sum it up. It was, it was, uh, it was rocky, man. It was tough. It was, uh. It was traumatizing, I say that. And mm-hmm. I say that to say this, uh, you know, my my family, um, it was a it was just tough, you know. My dad was a big time kingpin, you know, he sold drugs, stuff like that. My mom was uh was a was a drug user. So um mm-hmm. it was tough, man. Um I grew up right in the projects in Lester Morton Courts on the east side of Baltimore. Um you know, I seen it all. I seen stuff that a kid uh, you know, normally shouldn't see, you know, at my age growing up. Uh, and just had to grow up fast, man. Had to become a man, you know, real quick, you know, and uh, just learn from everything that you saw and, uh, you know, just embraced it, but let it motivate you, you know. It was some stuff. I spoke to a fifth grade graduation I was telling you about earlier, and uh, it was funny because I didn't have my parents at my fifth grade graduation. Uh-huh. Um, and just to share that experience with, with some kids, you know, uh, I told them I could have been sad, mad, or frustrated about it as a fifth grader, but I allowed it to motivate me, push me to where I wanted to be in life. And um, it's gotten me to where I'm at now. How does, um, what is kind of like your relationship like now with your parents? Do you, do you have a relationship with them now or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a relationship with my parents. Um, it's, it's a relationship that, you know, basically, um, I'm young, 27 years old, but Mm -hmm. you know, I'm teaching them a lot of things, you know, uh, a lot of things on how to, you know, just go about life, how to look at stuff, uh, perspective, you know, um, you can't really fault them for like the mindset that they're getting better at because what well, we grew up at, man, um, Baltimore just was a hard place. Um, we was always mad. We was always frowning or frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're learning, you know, with me living outside of Baltimore for years now, they see that joy and happiness that's, that's within me and they want a piece of it now, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah, I got a relationship with them and uh, love them to death. Um, they both taught me a lot of stuff that that's got me where I'm at. You know, my mom, you know, always, you know, pushing me and, <clears throat> you know, 
support me when she can. You know, like I always listen to a lot of music and you hear like Meek Mill say stuff like, uh, you know, um, your parents couldn't re- go come to those basketball games because they had to work two jobs, three jobs, mm-hmm. you know, so Absolutely. you couldn't really be mad at them for that. Um, so he's telling the truth, you know, when it comes from those rural and uh, city communities like we come from. Uh, and dad, you know, same thing, you know, trying to provide any way he can because he might be a felon. You know, mm-hmm. he might have charges where he can't get a normal job and stuff like that. And uh, he got to provide for the family, you know, and the only way was, you know, maybe doing some wrong stuff. So that's just what it was, man. But um, what was kind of like your mindset? though? Because you could have what what made you go a, separate, a different route? Because you could have easily kind of followed in the footsteps of like how your parents went. But you chose to do otherwise. What was it that kind of made you say this is not for me. I want to do something else. Um, man, just every day, you know, growing up with, with your friends and stuff. I mean, watching movies and it was just a mindset, man. You mm-hmm. always talked about, man, we got to make it out of here. You know, there's there's definitely something bigger, better for us, you know, outside of Baltimore. We didn't know at the time and I didn't know at the time, but me using basketball, traveling, playing AAU ball, you know, seeing glimpses of, you know, date like Orlando, Florida, just to go play a ball game and stuff like that. I'm like, man, it's a lot of happiness. It's a lot of joy. It's nobody, you know, frustrated, frowning right. at me, people waving at me, you know, what's this about? So I wanted mm-hmm. to taste more of that. And I just, it was a mindset, man. Right. It was basically a mindset. Uh, and you, you kind of felt like there was like your comfort zone when you, you know, just to kind of escape from everything that was going on back home, like basketball was like, you're home away from home. Oh man, yeah, it definitely was an outlet for me. Um, I always is it was it was like scapegoat. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? When I was playing basketball, uh, I just used whatever I was going through at the time to motivate me. And uh, most of the time, I wasn't even thinking about it. Um, but for high, I can remember for high school, before high school games, I could walk to my grandmother's house, and she had cancer at the time, and I would just sit and talk to her for a few minutes, and then walk back to my game that I had later on that evening, and mm-hmm. I just would let it push me and motivate me, like man. You know, this is for her, this is for that. You know, so anything I was going through, man, basketball was definitely an escape goal for me. What all sports did you play? Was it just basketball or any other sports? Nah, I played basketball, baseball, football. Um, mm-hmm. Majority basketball, though. You know, I really love basketball. I felt like I, I definitely had a, a God-given talent with that. Um, real good shooter, very successful with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just stuck with it for the most part. But, yeah, I, def- I played baseball, basketball, and football. Did, did you feel like sports was kind of all you had growing up, seeing how your parents were, you know, doing the things they were doing? With- uh, I wouldn't say it was all I had because, like I said, man, um, it was a cause and effect type of thing for my parents, you know. It was a they had no other choice type of thing. Right. I, mean, I, I, I mean, they had other choices, but it was it was just tough choices, you know. Um and uh, it's it's a it's a cycle, man. It's a mm-hmm. hard cycle, you know. In, in in the cities, you know that we grow up in, <clears throat> and it's hard to beat those cycles. So they, you know, they it was just that cycle, man. It was just hard for them to get out, and that's why I knew I had to beat the cycle. I couldn't, you know, I had to show these dudes follow me. Like I ain't following y'all because mm-hmm. what y'all what y'all trying to lead me to do ain't right. You know what I'm saying? You had those friends as well that. You know, the good friends were saying, nah, don't smoke that blunt. Nah, don't 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 roll with us. We're going to do something that ain't right right now. So, you know, those were the good friends. Mm-hmm. And gr- when did you realize, like, sports-wise, that, okay, you, you realize, okay, now this is really, like, my chance to kind of make it out of my situation? Uh, Man, I I think I realized it early on, man. Um, 
uh, Carmelo Anthony's um, grew up in Baltimore, mm-hmm. and I always looked up to him for the most part. I had a poster or something up in my room and wrote on it, you know, if he can, I can, you know. Right. So uh, I knew at an early age, man, I was pretty good at it. And uh, like I said, it's a cycle, you know, um, coming from where my, my city, it was either rap, you know, play sports or something like that to make it out. And I chose that sports side. And at like eight years old, when I started playing, I'm like, man, this is going to take me out. Mm-hmm. When I first traveled for AU, I'm like, man, I'm seeing Orlando, Florida, or this place, that place, this other city or state. Um, I, I just knew it was it, man. It was always that, that funny wisdom that I had as a kid growing up and like growing up quick that I realized, you know, this is definitely could take right. me someplace. I can yeah. use it. And I think that's kind of how it is like in, in the African-American community. It's kind of like we were saying a little bit off camera. like for us, it's like either they look at us either as entertainers or athletes. Mm-hmm. It's like one or the other. Right. If you're anything else, then we don't really care. It's like. Right, we get we have it's like we have to be one of those too, no doubt. But for you, you when you, you actually got out of that and you um you went you went on and played ball. But how, how did your friends feel? You know when they were like, okay, Darrell is getting ready to uh, go play college ball. Did they kind of have resentment towards you? Uh, no, nah, man, it wasn't no resentment, especially coming out of high school and going off to college. Uh, it was all push at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of support. You know, uh, like I said. Real successful kid, known on the east side of Baltimore for basketball. Everybody felt like I had a chance to make it. And, uh, you know, it was support, man. It definitely was a lot of, you know, support and following, you know, for the most part. It wasn't too much resentment, um, I felt like, at, at that time. Uh, and especially, I mean, for my particular friends, I don't really feel a whole bunch of resentment. But it's mm-hmm. almost, it's, a, it's like that I'm not sure factor either, you know. Right. Did you <clears throat> have any... Um, that or did you want? I want to say, um, did you want to stay close to home, or was it? Did you already have your mind made up that no, I'm I'm actually going to just go away, get away from home, just to get a different scenery? Uh, man, I actually had a fear, you know, of going away for school and stuff like that. Um, uh, I, you know, for basketball as a kid, you you travel and you stay for two nights. Mm-hmm. Two nights was cool, you know. That was long enough, you know. And even at that point, I was homesick. So I had a fear going away, but I knew I had to sacrifice that fear and just go to probably because every you I watched, you know, older guys. It was Gary Neal played for the Spurs. He's from Baltimore. He uh, everybody I started noticing everybody that left Baltimore. That mean, they wasn't showing up in the city for a few years. Mm-hmm. They came back and they was very successful at whatever they was doing where they took a couple years away from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So that's what popped in my head. And I was like, get over that fear, go ahead out to Texas to junior college and still pursue, you know, basketball. And I got over it. I even, you know, went out there and still had those fears and called my brother, man, I'm coming home, mm-hmm. homesick. And, you know, he pushed me and said, man, stay there, stick it out. Mm-hmm. Like it ain't nothing we ain't been through exactly uh, that we can't handle. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all about stepping out of your comfort zone too. But and talk talk a little bit about um talk a little bit about your uh your basketball career because as you can see you have rings lying all the way up across. So kind of talk about from from high school to junior college all the way to um to D one. All right. Uh. So yeah, I, I went to Dunbar High School, very historic high school. Um, mm-hmm. coming out of Baltimore, Muggsy Bowles, Sam Cassell, guys like that played there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went to Dunbar, you know, real successful, um, key guy, real good shooter in high school. Um, 
wound up winning the 1A state championship my senior year. Uh, averaged about 25 points or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I met with my coach, man, because I had a couple choices. It was like go prep school, which is like a six-year, which is like a fifth year of high school, mm-hmm. and then go play four years Division One. And uh, I had that option, and I had junior college. Um, and I chose – I talked to my coach, high school coach, and he suggested I went, I go to junior college, which is out in Texas. Mm-hmm. He said, man, I think you can handle it. Because I was like, man, I don't know. You know, as far – and uh, he said, I can handle it, man. He's like, I know you. I coached you four years. You're the type of guy that's going to find a way to get up and get over it. Uh, went out to junior college, had a very successful freshman year in college, averaged about 12 points or so. Um, second year, uh, we wound up going 36-0, and 0, you know, uh, which has never been done in junior college, you know. So uh, that's, that's just another quiz and small part of like, man, I'm witnessing that. It's something special about me, you know, every mm-hmm. piece of part of team that I'm a part of, you know, it finds a way to, you know, to breathe that energy of winning and that, you know, I'll like, like expectancy is contagious. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If I expect a lot, you know, all my people and all my players around me, gonna, I expect a lot out of them. That's you know cool. what I'm saying? So junior college, like I said, it was 36 and 0. Um, then I wound up getting the opportunity to go to High Point University to finish out my college career. Played two years at High Point University and uh, won back-to-back regular season championships for them, you know, my junior year and my senior year. And another funny fact, man, of my, how my life is going, uh, High Point has never won a Division One regular season championship. Yeah. So I was a part of that first regular season championship for High Point University. And we come back to my senior year and do the same thing. Uh, and then, man, I meet a guy named Richard Payne, uh, who I met, he was a guy that showed up to the games, you know, real interested in who I was. And he saw that leadership displayed off and on the court for me at High Point University and was like, man, I think you should come check out NASCAR, you know, come check out Richard Childress Racing and, and see what it's all about here. You know, I, I think it's something that you could definitely do. So I went up there, checked it out, wound up doing an internship. Like, man, this is different, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yes. I'm like, this is different, you know, mm-hmm. but it's cool, you know, and I always stepped outside of that box and wanted to do something just a little bit different. It was like I said, coming from Baltimore, it wasn't really no fear to do something different, right. you know, or get out of my comfort zone. So went and did an internship for them. Did so well by putting my head down and showing them, you know, just hard work, you know, all effort stuff, you know. And they like, man, you go graduate from High Point. And we'll give you a week to go home. You can come back down. We'll offer you a job. Wow. So I started from the bottom of NASCAR um, with the first African-American dude they hired at RCR for picker. And uh, basically, man, I started at the bottom. I mean, getting paid nothing, driving 16 hours to do a race, you know, mm-hmm. just driving all over the country just to do a race to show, you know, you know, my effort and my hard work, you know, mm-hmm. Um and that I really wanted to be here and get to that highest level of uh, NASCAR, which was the Cup Series. So same thing, man. It's just showing back to back to back. I'll go and I, I got the chance to be on an Xfinity car. A guy wound up leaving or retiring. I go. He vouched for me. He said, man, I think the rail's ready. Mm-hmm. I get in there, blow him away. You know, I do my thing as as pit stops. That following year, I get an opportunity to be on the Cup level. That's the highest level of NASCAR. I'm on Paul Menard's car, blown away, you know, very successful year, few mistakes. Um, and then I, you know, this previous year, 2018, I wound up on Austin Dillon in the three car. 
And as you can see behind me, you know, every jersey coming up was always number three. So mm -hmm. that's just that, you know, like God given feeling and spiritual thing that I feel like, you know, that three was always special to me. Um, and I ended up being on that car. I want, I want to go back to basketball really quickly. Did, did you, was it hard for you to kind of let go of basketball at that time because you, you played at such a young age? And then I guess at towards your college career started to wind down. Was it kind of hard to let basketball go? Uh, yeah, man, it definitely was hard. Um, and it's funny you asked that question because I even had a rough patch time with being a part of NASCAR and working there for like that first year for me. I felt like I was struggling with it a little bit just because, um, you know, I didn't learn to love it yet. You know, so I mm -hmm. talked to, you know, guys and coaches, you know, like, man, I don't know why I'm not, you know, feeling it too much. But I had I haven't I hadn't let basketball go yet. Mm -hmm. Um so I really started approaching um, NASCAR with that. What, hey, if I would have went to the NBA, how would I be preparing? How would I be, you know, if I was at the professional level of NBA? So I carried that over and said, Darrell, why don't you carry it over to NASCAR and do the same thing as if you went to the league? Take that and use it in NASCAR. So I started learning to love, love it, man, the pit stops. Love it. Love the, the working out part of it and just pit stops in general. Like, I love doing pit stops mm -hmm. now, man. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, it was definitely hard. But, you know, in order to be great at something, you got to fall in love with it. So uh, yeah. I had to fall in love with pit stops. And that's that's what I've done. And that's what's got me. Was it was it like a culture shock in a sense from going from because that's it's kind of like it's two different extremes. You're going from basketball all the way to something like NASCAR. It's something different. Was it kind of a culture shock for you? It was definitely a culture shock, you know, Um like I said, for that first year, I was a real quiet guy, um, just backing up and going to the racetrack and seeing how it all was done, how it mm -hmm. all worked, and uh, filling it out and stuff like that. And uh, it was a different culture, for sure. It wasn't that exact locker room field culture as, uh, you know, in, in, as far as basketball and stuff. But uh, it was it was good. It was it was a, it was something where I started filling it out. And I'm like, and I'm like, um, and I'm like, uh you know, I could possibly change this culture. Mm -hmm. So that's that that wisdom mindset, mindset. of like, man, okay, this this ain't this ain't a this ain't a a normal professional atmosphere culture. But mm -hmm. I'm like, I could probably change this by you know speaking to people because it was a culture where NASCAR was funny, bro. It was a culture where you could work with somebody all day in the shop, go to the racetrack, and they it, it was a sense of sometimes they wouldn't even know you. Or speak the same way they spoke to you, you know, all week oh, in the shop. Wow. So I'm like, what's up, man? You know, so what I did over the years and now where I'm at is like, I'm going to speak to you the same way, no matter where I'm at, you know, at the racetrack. I'm like, what's up, bro? What's up? You mm -hmm. know, how you doing? How you feeling? And, I, and that culture has definitely changed, you know, Richard Childress racing to the day. Like, you know, my coach, Ray Wright, said, uh, this, this is probably one of the best culture years we've had, you know, at Richard Childress racing. Mm -hmm. And success level as pit crews um, at RCR. So I've definitely, it definitely was a culture shock, but it's something that, you know, I love working on and changing, you know, and I think we changed it little by little, especially the guys that's on my right. team. And you feel like you belong because, like I was saying before we started the interview, like with me, we're doing, working in the media and, and broadcasting, when I went to a lot of different events, you don't see a lot of us African Americans like, in the in the um in the media industry and it's, it's kind of predominantly white male industry dominated so it's kind of like when we when we go into these events a lot of times they'll give us this look like 
are you supposed to be here? Or they'll check out credentials like I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. So did you got kind of get those kind of looks at first? Like, uh, somewhat, <clears throat> not necessarily from people that I was with or on my team or <clears throat> who knew me. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, uh, somebody may have been working the race or, you know, a fan or something like that. Um, but, and, and even some teams that, cause when early, when you get into the sport, you get contract contracted out. So you'll go do a car. You'll go do some pit stops for a guy that doesn't know you from Adam and Eve. And uh, they just want you to come and perform, you know, and I would show up Jack, man, Jack, man, is like the quarterback of a pit crew. You know, he call all the shots, the plays, he's the calm guy, whatever the case may be. He's the leader. And, uh, I would, I would love to, I love to show them that. I'm going to pause for a second. Okay. Let me pause for a quick second. <clears throat> All right, we're good. Okay. Just let me know when we start back up. Three, two. All right, welcome back to the Cross the Line podcast. We had to pause for a quick second. So, Darrell, you were saying before we, we had to uh, take a quick break, I was asking you, did you feel like you kind of was, was getting a look like, did you belong in NASCAR from certain people? You said some of them, not from the people you necessarily knew, but from other people that didn't know you. You said you were kind of getting that. Yeah, sometimes, man. Look. But to be honest, not a whole lot. Not a, mm -hmm. not a whole lot at all. Um, most of the time it was love, man, especially when, after they saw, you know, my talent and me produce, you know, the job at hand. And that was pit stop. So once they saw me once perform or, or show my talent, all of that was basically out the window. Like the judgment was mm -hmm. done, was gone, you know. So I erased that real quick. So how long have you actually been doing NASCAR now? Uh, started in 2014. That was kind of a, you know, just work your way in type of year. So I'm going to say four, four to five years. Mm -hmm. And you only do pit crews or do you do some driving? or uh, I only do pit crews. Pit crews? Yeah. Kind of talk a little bit about the pit crews because I, 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 like I told you a little bit, my, the first event I went, I went to one NASCAR event. This was back in 2014, I believe. Um, I was at the All-Star Race um, mm -hmm. at Charlotte Motor Speedway and Jeff Gordon was getting ready to retire. I think that was his last right. year racing. And um, for me, it was just something totally different because I, I never really watched NASCAR. So mm -hmm. I didn't really know what was going on. And, and any of those drivers, they could have right. walked by me. And I would have thought they were just a regular, regular person, person because right. I didn't know too much about it. But for me, it was it was a different experience. Um, I was like I said, I didn't know a whole lot about it. But I, I just seen how quick the pit crews work. Like, it was mm -hmm. just like 10 seconds or less, maybe yeah. not even that long. It's like as soon as the cars come in, they take care of them, and then boom. Yeah. Just yeah. like that. I mean, yeah, pit crew, man. It's I'm gonna start off by saying this is one of the most humbling things you'll ever do in life. Um, the minute you get too high, the, a pit crew, a pit stop, will humble you very quick. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? If you don't respect it. Um, but with that being said, man, it's like a symphony. Always use that that comparison. Uh, it's like a symphony. You know, everybody got to be in sync. You know, for it to sound good, for it to mm -hmm. go right. Um, you know, you got to trust each other. You know, uh, I learned over the years, first off in the sport, first first couple of years in the sport, you know, I was jumping around from team to team, different guys on my team each week. And now I'm at the point where I've been two years with the same crew. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, there's a lot of chemistry built. There's a lot of mm -hmm. trust there. There's a lot of confidence there as a team. You know, um, we have a, a whole, you know, aura and swag about us, you know, about when it's time to do pit stops. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a hard thing to do, man. Um, it's definitely 
a hard hard thing to do. A lot of practice day in and day out. It was is it kind of like a stressful job because the way I look at it, it seems like it could be kind of like a high turnover job because it's like your job could literally be on the line because it's like the drivers are really like depending on you to come in, get them in and out mm-hmm. quick. So is it kind of like a stressful job in a sense? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of stress into it. Um, you know, early on, my earlier years, you know, you can put a more stress on it than what it really is. You know, uh, I always like to do things throughout the week to give me a, give me perspective. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is go see stuff that where somebody in life is doing way worse than what I'm doing. Right. And that this is just a job. And, you know, as long as I give effort, you know, that's, that's, that's cool. You know, as long as I'm giving effort every day throughout the week to do my job to the best of my ability, you know, you're not jumping off the wall to do a pit stop and say, I'm going to mess up. Or I want to mess up or screw up or whatever. You know, I'm giving effort every time I do it. And like, I was a basketball player. So me jumping over the wall still to this day, it's foreign for me. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, this right. isn't something I've done all my life. I've done Absolutely. it the last four years. So um, it's a hard thing, man. But, uh, yeah, it definitely can be stressful. But I've learned to find a happy place and stay right there in that happy place. And I've learned to cope with it way better. How long are you guys um, – how much are you guys, like, on the road? Uh, we're on the road 36 weekends out of the year. 36. just And it's just the weekends or – Just the weekends for the most part. Um, fun fact, NASCAR is the longest sports season there is. It's from February to November. Mm. So kind of like through the week, what are you guys just prepping at the at the station and then? Yeah, I'll give you a quick summary. Um, so let's say we just come off a of race week. Um, that Monday, we'll have a, 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 a debrief of a meeting, you know, with all the pit crews about, you know, your performance. You know, you get stats, you get breakdowns of exactly what you did. Mm-hmm. You look at cameras, GoPros to see exactly what you did. You get those numbers from all of that on that Monday. Um, you'll have, you know, optional drills right after that Tuesday, you'll have practice. Um, particularly me, we practice eight in the morning, right after we have workouts, you know, for an hour, that's uh, speed and agility as well as strength stuff. Same thing on a Wednesday, you practice and you have your workout speed and agility mm-hmm. Thursday, the same thing, you know, workouts and whatever the case for you want to do on that Thursday to get ready for the week. And that's on that's week. That's every week for mm-hmm. 36 weeks, man. Mm-hmm. You get like. I'm not gonna say you get one weekend off, and that's your Easter weekend. Wow! So it's like an absolute grind the whole time. Absolutely. Do y'all have any kind of relationship with the driver, or is it just <clears throat> with the pit crew for you guys? Uh, for me, um, we definitely have a, a relationship with our driver. Austin Dillon is real, you know, hands on with us. He knows us, you know, he knows a little bit about all of us, um, and that's what you know keeps me at Richard Childress Racing mm-hmm. on their pit crew. Uh, is a real family atmosphere. And mm-hmm. I've always been, every place I've played at and been a part, I've never transferred schools. I've never done stuff like that. Real loyal guy. And I was chosen, you know, stick it, stick it, you know, stay right at RCR with the people that gave me the opportunity. Um, and it's, it's, he's definitely hangs out with us. We mm-hmm. hang out. I mean, right. we do a lot with our drive. I remember um, just before the race started and thing, I think like the, they had trailers sitting out there and the guys, like the drivers would be up in the trailers just yeah, relaxing yeah, until, yeah, it's, yeah. until it's time to drive. So I didn't know if the, if y'all had some, any kind some of... Some drivers hang out with their crews, some choose not to, you know. It's just who they are and whether they choose to. Mm-hmm. And I believe the race I was at, I think the winner was uh, Denny Hamlin. He was, uh, I don't even know if he's still driving. Yeah, he still he was with Joe, Joe yeah, Gibbs. He's with the FedEx car. Okay, yep. yeah, I remember he um actually won... Um, he won the preliminary and then the actual race later okay. on that, that night. Uh, Denny Hammond was there. And that was my first NASCAR experience. And it was 
it was it was kind of hard to follow a little bit because I just see the guys just going around and yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so right. You got to kind of know it a little bit. Um, same thing with me. I had no idea, but now I can sit and watch a whole race on TV and know, you know exactly what's going on and what they're talking about. It's got its own language. It's his own world. Right. And it's a world I ain't know existed until I was a part of it. And That's a lot of people in our community don't know it exists until you go to an event and understand that it's hundreds of thousands of people camping out mm-hmm. for this event. Oh, yeah. And I saw tents <laughs> everywhere, and it was cars all down the road. The and they traffic do that for was weeks, crazy. Man. They do that for weeks. The traffic was, was insane. But uh, And we're going we're gonna to get back. We're going to get that to the African-American part okay. of, of uh, NASCAR. But I want to ask you before we get to that, um, what's the what's the most criticism uh, that you faced in uh, NASCAR, the biggest criticism? Uh, Biggest criticism, man. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't really. I haven't really felt a bunch of criticism, man. I just. I mean, because like I said, once I once I do a pit stop, the talent just shows for itself, and whatever judgment might have been in anyone's mind is gone. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, what what do you think made um? Forgive me, I forgot the gentleman's name. You said he saw some of your basketball games, and he told you to come. Richard Payne. Richard Payne. What what do you think made you stand out to for him to say, hey, I want to. Give give him a shot, and that's uh, man, with 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 the most humbleness and respect, you know, uh, just that that leadership that you know a lot of coaches and a lot of teachers and a lot of people and friends have seen in me for a long time. That that leadership, man, uh, you know, a military guy told me in a room full of people, you know, he gonna pick me to go and fight with him. You know, mm-hmm. that was just recently, a couple months ago, and that was big coming from a, a military guy. You know. Um, it's just a leadership, man. It's something that, you know, I've had for a long time and it ain't really taught. It's just a, man, I want to make everybody around me better. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If, if I can do that, I'm winning. You know what I'm saying? Especially if it's a team atmosphere or anything like that. My job is to make everybody else better. Absolutely. I, w- I want to get back to the uh, part we were saying earlier that we mentioned earlier about the, the lack of um, Af- African-Americans in NASCAR. Why do you feel like it may be a, a lack of us African-Americans in NASCAR? To be honest, man, I think it's the lack of awareness from our community. And that's why a guy like me is going to make sure I share that, you know, NASCAR is out there. And, you know, um, a lot we watch NBA, we attend NFL, we attend all these, you know, Major League Baseball games. NASCAR is a cool event, too. Like you mm-hmm. said, you've been there yourself. It's a lot of things going on before the race even starts oh, that yeah. you could be a mm-hmm. part of. You know, if you're a person that likes to party... NASCAR is for you. If you're a person that likes to drink, NASCAR is for you. If if you want to just be free and and you like loud noises and motors and stuff, NASCAR is for you. So, you know, like the guy that showed me and brought me in the sport, I had no idea about it. So I think it's now it's my time to, to, uh, you know, use my platform, you know, on all these social medias to tell, you know, our community about the sport, you know, um, uh, that answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, what do, what do people? How do people look at you when if they ask you say, "Hey, what what kind of what do you do for a living?" And you say, "I do NASCAR." <laughs> how, how do what, what? How do they look at you when you tell them that? Man, most of the time, I'll be honest, man. They look at it. They they at all when I say it. Um, I really don't even be wanting to say it a bunch because you don't even expect it. You know, mm-hmm. I could be at a table, for instance, at dinner. You know, and you know, you're sitting with people in there. They're they're you know, fiancés or wives and they, they tell them what they do for a living. And, you know, yeah, yeah, it's cool. But I'm like, you know, as soon as I say NASCAR, all the attention comes to me mm-hmm. because it's something that I think that is rare. Yep. You know, so um, 
like I always say this in all my interviews, I talked to my father-in-law and I was like, man, should I go overseas and pursue, pursue basketball or should I go in, and, and do NASCAR? He said, man, go be Jackie Robinson in NASCAR. So that's exactly, you know, what I'm doing. And he always said this. He's a guy that, you know, owns a lot of businesses and stuff like that. And he said, man, if I see NASCAR come across my desk as a resume, I'm probably going to stop at it because it's a rare thing. So that that's what really drove me to pursue NASCAR. I was like, man, he might be right. You know, when you come home from overseas after however long you play that on a resume, really don't matter to a lot of people when they see that come across their desk. Mm-hmm. So I took the route of NASCAR. Do you feel like NASCAR does enough to kind of embrace the African-American community in a sense? Uh, and it's not, and that, I don't want to say we just, we're bashing. We just, do you feel like they could, they're doing enough? I feel, I feel like, I feel like they are taking steps in the right direction. They have, you know, programs like NASCAR drive for diversity. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and they're definitely they're definitely trying to grab that audience and that community for sure. You mm-hmm. know, of us, um, we gotta be willing to, to 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 hear it out and listen to and want to mm-hmm. want to check it out. And like you said, get out of our comfort zone, right? And not just think that you know NASCAR is just for white people. Mm-hmm. We, we can get up in them gates too. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Same way as I'm in the sport. It's a lot of black dudes up and down Pickerel now, mm-hmm. and that's very successful. Because, like I said, it's either for most part, it's football and basketball for us. We play baseball, but NASCAR, you, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I heard, heard a, a black person say anything about, about NASCAR. Yeah, it's just like we really don't get in get into it for. Yeah, because when you hear, like I said, like I ain't know nothing, man. All I knew was the Cheerios box with the car on it. You know, yep. growing up, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, uh, but man, you got there to be different. You got there to be different. Do you try to, do they try to get you to recruit them or do you do it on your own to kind of like get African-Americans into NASCAR? Uh, I don't necessarily recruit them or nothing like that. You know, um, I think they, they, a lot of, you know, people are starting to see see the success level with me and that Richard Childers and me being African-American and stuff like that. And it's like, man, I could do that too. You know, I might need to try to go to his company, you know. I'm not sure, but it's definitely, you know, breaking down a few barriers for guys to feel like they can be a part of it or feel like they can have as much success that I'm having so thus, thus far in NASCAR. How does uh, family and friends back home um, look at you now with doing NASCAR? Do they kind of embrace that or is it like, like oh, man, you should have just did something different? Or how, how is it for them? They embrace it. You know, I think it's still a little bit of that, uh, you know, unaware of what really what how big this is um even myself man i don't really understand how just how big it is and even the history thing with the daytona 500 when a veteran uh you know changer told me i i'm not gonna realize just how big this is till 20 years from now wow. when they still talking mm-hmm. about it you know what i'm saying so they uh i'm trying to you know g- gain them up on their knowledge of nascar mm-hmm. and just how cool it is and you know Especially with me having a success and how how big it is, you mm-hmm. know. How, how did you find out about the um that you made history? You know, being the first African American to win the um, Daytona 500. Man, basically, like a week after the Daytona 500, I'm like, you know, I was talking to my pit crew guys. I'm like, man, has has any black dudes ever won this race? You know, as a pit crew member and this this and that, and uh, and they like, man, I, I don't think so, you know. And and I got a guy on my team that's been doing it, you know, 15 years plus, and he like, man. I don't think so, you know, mm-hmm. and then I got like a a call from NASCAR or somebody in NASCAR and then a tweet came out from NASCAR Drive for Diversity saying, 
Thriller, I was the first, you know, African-American picture. Remember, over the wall, you got to make the emphasis, over the wall, man. I went and hit the car during the race. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first African-American to ever do it. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was just cool. I, I ain't know, man. Like I said, I just do this to leave a legacy, and mm-hmm. that just came with it. Do you feel like the story was as big as it should have been, or maybe our people didn't pay enough attention to it? Um, I'm going to say it definitely, it definitely wasn't blown up. Uh, to to the criteria that I thought it should have been. Um, mm-hmm. Like I told you earlier, before we started recording, you know, anybody, any race, gender to do anything for the first time is big. Mm-hmm. I don't care how you look or anything. It's big. It's history. You know, mm-hmm. it's the first, you know, so it definitely should be, you know, it definitely should have its, you know, publicity or be talked about or be shared, you know, for someone else to be the next first to do something else you know mm-hmm. just like brianna daniels in uh nascar well she's the first female pit crew uh tire changer you know so there's a young lady looking at her there's a young you know uh kid looking at me you know so you gotta share these things for our youth and our future to want to do the same mm-hmm. things that we are doing yeah and i, I think there's something um something to um to really appreciate and it's it's interesting because we we shot a Earlier this year, we shot a few interviews down in Charleston, and we had the the youngest, um, Jordan Jackson. He was the youngest African-American. Well, he was the youngest entrepreneur to have a store in Northwoods Mall. He was a, a 19-year-old African-American kid. And then we had Miss Crystal Simmons. She was the uh, the um, first African-American woman to win a seat in District 117 in Charleston and Berkeley County. And one of the things that she said, said to me that kind of stuck out was like, it was, she was like, it's kind of a shame that it's, we're saying it's the first time for this. Like it finally took this long for us to make this kind of history. That is kind of yeah. That's that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And it's kind of the same way with with NASCAR. It's like man, we should have we could have been breaking down these barriers and and pounding the pavement. But it's it's still a true testament. And it's not to take anything away from. And it's not to take anything away from from what you've done because what you've accomplished and things that you continue to do is should be appreciated by all of us. Mm-hmm. So um. What what else do you think they could do um, to kind of push and uh, push NASCAR for more African Americans to get into it? Is there anything else they could do? Uh, use stories like this one, man. And mm-hmm. you know, I I don't mind you know doing an event or speaking out or going to a college or going to this and that. And they do have some people for that, you know, with the Drive for Diversity program that are starting to do it. Um, but they could they could definitely do more, man. You could definitely reach out to. It's, it, it's never enough, you know what I'm saying? Like as far as the push and the drive to to market to, you know, the push it, man. You can mm-hmm. definitely do more. You just gotta put your heads together and do it, you know. Yes, I want to kind of go back to kind of like breaking barriers and uh, the race part of things. Like you said earlier, you you dated you married a woman, a white woman outside of your race. Did people kind of look at you kind of as like you know? Did you get any, get any kind of pushback from family or friends? Say, oh, man, you're a seller. You're in NASCAR. You dated, you married somebody outside of your race. Did you mm-hmm. kind of get any kind of flack or anything for that? Or, uh, or was- Not really from anybody I knew. Um, some little stuff on social media, just, I mean, small comments or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, people that don't even know yeah, you. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, man, I think I'm on earth to do stuff like that. The show that is I, you know, mm-hmm. I, and that's been all my life, like, that's what I think I'm here for, you know, and that's the that's the problem with like a lot of stuff today. You know, um, we don't really 
take time to get to know people. So I'm not going to be wanted to add to that. You know, I want to show you that it is okay. You know, and I think that's why, you know, you know, I was blessed to meet that young lady and, you know, do what I'm doing now with her to to show people that it is okay. It's all right for us to gel. It's all right for us to be friends with one another. It's all right for me to have, you know, friends outside of my That's That's all fine, man. You know, like there's no problem with it. So don't let society and all the things they push on TV and news, you know, tell us anything different because that's all we see. And then that hate will never go away. I'm not about to add to that hate. Mm -hmm. If you pay attention to the media, it kind of stirs up this kind of controversy all the time. We we can't let the world, the government, you know, do all of that to us. Absolutely. And you said something earlier before we started the interview also that was interesting. You said that, you know, you kind of showed her where you're from. And she like you said something that I really appreciate from her on her end. It was like she tries to understand where you're coming exactly. from. You know, a lot of people and that's on both big, and it's both on both ends. Exactly. We don't try to understand the other side, but you say she tries to understand. So that's exactly. it is very important. That's the big part, man. And that's that's not even just with me and her. That's um, you know, us in general. We got the culture. I don't even think we should even talk about race. It should only be culture. Should be the only thing Absolutely. talked about. You know, um. We got to, you got, you don't know until you've been there. Like we can say, man, they, they don't know what we've been through. We don't know that side. Like it's, it's, it works both ways. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So we got to want to learn where they coming from too. Like, you know, it's just both sides. Mm-hmm. But And is it kind of that way with, with the guys that you work with? Is it kind of, you know, trying to get them to understand where you're coming from and you try to understand what, where they're coming from? Um, it, it yeah, but it ain't like a it ain't like I ask. It ain't like a question. Right. Sometimes if it presents itself, but it's more of me paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll ask, but I you know, and I just pay. I'm just more aware, man. It's just a paying attention thing, you know. Like sometimes you gotta just be quiet and observe. You know what I mean? And, and listen, you know, versus speaking. So I do that a whole bunch, and I learn it just that way, mm-hmm. you know, because it's ongoing. Like I said, this is. 36 weeks, so I get to see it every weekend and week out on just how they work, you know. So, mm-hmm. Just a few more questions, and then we'll get ready to um, to wrap it up. What's something that you kind of, would you say you kind of struggle with the most outside of NASCAR? Uh, man, the family factor, you know. I'm at that point, you know, I'm 27. I'm at the point now where I'm married, you know. It's the, it's the fact of, all right. You know, um, now I, it's time for me to make my own family. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, as you come up, you like family is everything. You know, mm-hmm. family over everything. You know, mm-hmm. all those sayings. But at, when it's time that you create your own family, you know, that is a hard balance and battle for me. You know, right mm-hmm. now, um, on you know, do, you know, you got you got your own family. You got That's your sweet. wife. You know, you know, like you know, biblically, you know, they say your wife is everything. You know, once you get in, you know, you build off of that. You know, so mm-hmm. I think that, that's, that's a hard battle for me. Yeah, I think that's something. You know, I, I throw myself in that same boat as well. You know, just trying to to balance because you know, me starting this journey of entrepreneurship and trying to do my own thing and having a family, it's like it's hard because you know, we sometimes we. We do we do a good bit of interviews on the road as well, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like we had to go back and forth, and you know, trying to make sure you have time for family is kind of hard. But it's yeah. just like you know, I'm trying to make the sacrifice to you know, kind of benefit us because at the end of the day, I want to do something that I enjoy, and at the same time, I want to be in position to where when it's time for our family getaway, like 
we don't have to ask, hey, can we do we have to be off or anything like that? Like we can just up and go mm-hmm. and I don't have to worry about those kind of things. So it's kind of hard, you know, trying to balance both like work and uh, a relationship with no the family. No so that, that's something I think everybody, you know, kind of kind of struggles with. Um, but if you could go back and do anything differently along your journey, would you what would it be? Uh, oof, that's a tough question. Um, uh, man, I, I'd try to bring one of those close friends that I grew up with me, with me along the way. Like really, I would have pushed harder to take them, them guys to sign up for AAU, to sign up for travel league, take them out of the neighborhood, show them, you know, little places that I was going. Like, I mean, I had friends, man, that wouldn't even go to this mall because it was, just it was a it was a nice mall in the county side of mm-hmm. you know outside of the city just that that's how uncomfortable they were you know mm-hmm. so i would push harder for my friends growing up that you mm-hmm. know it was something bigger than our city mm-hmm. you know even though we said it a lot i would have showed them more absolutely do you do you um how often do you get to go back home now i know you, you're pretty busy you said 36 weeks yeah but how do you try to get to go home? Uh, rare, man. Uh, I don't really go home that much, man, to be honest. Um, uh, yeah, rarely, man. It might be once a year or something like mm-hmm. that if I do. Do you still feel that love when you get a, get a chance to go back? Yeah, man. Because a lot of times, man, I think it, I think the love has gone until, like, I do something. Like I said, I posted a video on social media, and, and all the love and all the comments that I got from people was, man, you still got that love, you know, or not. Sometimes you think it's gone until you do stuff like that, and they show you that man. Nah, it's still there, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's that's a good feeling. So I, I I definitely think I still got a bunch of love there and respect. Did you did you feel like you had to kind of excuse me prove something to anybody? Was it like, hey, I I can do this. Was there anybody that you had to show them that you had this in you? Um. Early on, I felt like I had a lot to prove. Like I said, man, I did. I, I basically was hooping all through high school, you know, for the neighborhood. Um, and then as I got older and went to college and stuff, you know, I started to know, you know, I need to be playing for myself. You know, I got a lot to prove to myself, you know, not mm-hmm. not the other people. And then I got, you know, I got into God and stuff like that and, I, and found a higher power. And um, I made that. I, had, I learned that if I had an audience of one, a lot of this stuff would become mm-hmm. easier. So my higher power, you know, was that audience of one for me, and it made a lot of stuff easy. You thought, you say how uh, everywhere you went, you had you kind of brought this winning mentality. You had so much success, and, and like with the number three, and you just like you feel like everything happened for a reason. Do you feel like it was God talking to you, man? <laughs> yeah, in a way, man, because like it all, all the pieces to the puzzle just was coming, coming together slowly, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, year after year, day after day, I would get a glimpse of something that that showed me that I was supposed to be doing what exactly what I was doing at the time. And even now, in Ascot, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't supposed to go to NBA and all of that. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now, breaking these barriers down. For a young kid at the bottom that feel like he ain't going to ever make it or feel like he, you know, can't go to NBA. Like, this is another avenue for you that's possible. So I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, man. Mm -hmm. And, yes, you know, I feel like it was, you know, God talking to me, man. Um, 
all this. I mean, this this is ironic, man. I mean, this is this is weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, look around and you know, this ain't no joke. I've never had another number, you know, in my That's life. Right. So for me to end up on this this card that I'm doing now in NASCAR, it's just it just. But it's, it's and it's something that people can appreciate when it's, it's something different, and, you know. So if you pound the pavement, what you can accomplish. But I, I got to ask you, um, do you do you still follow basketball now? Yeah, um, I follow, especially I, I follow college more than I do NBA. College, yeah, man. Who do you, who who was your favorite college team? Uh, man, I don't I don't really even have a college have team. A to be college honest, team? man. I mean, obviously, you know, if the hometown of any sort makes it. Or, you know, I'm going to be pushing for them up to the hometowns, playing against them. I'm rooting for them. Maryland, mm-hmm. the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, big Ravens fan. I'm a Ravens fan. Oh, yeah. uh, man. Yeah. You yeah. See it. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, man. I just I love I just love the competition. I just love watching. And, and more importantly, I think above and beyond the games, I wait to see the interviews after. I mm-hmm. wait to see the coach talk. When Clemson won the national championship. Oh, Dabo gave a great speech after. The that's game. what I pay attention right, to. That's yeah. the wisdom in me. What that man said, he said, uh, man, I wrote it down, but he said, you know, you know, you couldn't paint a Hollywood script like this. Mm-hmm. That's and, what he and, said and, or something like that. And a lot of people don't know about his journey at Alabama and everything. And I think they said his, his one of his, I believe his mom had to at one point sleep on his uh, dorm room floor. And that's what I'm saying. And, and, the, 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 and what I'm saying a lot more out of a lot of athletes is when they get those interviews, they're like, man, I'm just blessed or thank God. That's mm-hmm. the first thing they said. And 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 for me, at that point when I was doing that, that mean I was starting to wake up. So I'm like, man, a lot of these dudes starting to wake up and realize this stuff ain't just no natural giving stuff. Mm-hmm. Like this it gotta come from you somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Them, you gotta man. you gotta give credit when it's due, man. Yeah, you absolutely. know, they blessed. You know, I'm blessed. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um one last question before we get out of here. What would you say is your ultimate goal? <clears throat> Uh, man, my ultimate goal is to to have a big enough platform that where, you know, I can touch thousands and millions of people with my story and my journey, um, and ultimately leave that legacy behind. You know, I do life because it's all about how will I be remembered? You know, I want to leave a legacy of the Rel Edwards, the Edwards family, great character guy like how will you be remembered that's big to me that's the only reason why i'm doing all of what i'm doing that's like right. it ain't the money i've learned that don't make you happy i that's what leave my leave my legacy man um touch people like share my story my journey you know and have that platform it ain't about the fame it's about the platform it's about somebody wanting to listen to me unfortunately you got to have a certain platform for people to want to listen to you Absolutely. so that's the only reason why i want a platform mm-hmm well, Darrell, I appreciate you for coming on this platform. Um, like I said, your story was inspiring, man. So I absolutely had to reach out to you. And it's something different, you know, especially coming from your community, the African-American community, coming where you, the way you grew up. It's just like people need to hear this kind of stuff, man. And just show that you can actually make it no matter what kind of, no matter what your circumstances are, you can make it. Yeah, Because no a lot of people need to realize that kind of stuff. But before we get out of here, can you tell everybody um, where to find you? Uh, like I said, media. my name is Darrell Edwards. Uh, on Instagram, it's NASCAR underscore rel. And, uh, yeah, that's basically basically it. You can find me on Facebook, Darrell Edwards, D-E-R-R-E-L-L, Edwards. Um, that's it, really, man. And I, I'll say one more thing, man. If I can, you can. You know, so that's I'll leave you with that. And the time is now. So act on anything you're feeling and all those dreams you're feeling. 
chase them right now. Absolutely. Darrell, I appreciate you again. And good luck in the future. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And also, thank you again to Miss Charlene from Charlene's Home Cooking in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And until next time, keep chasing your dreams. This is the Cross Line Podcast. Thank you for listening.